This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. This is Power 98.7. And now you're listening to Power Talk with Lerato Mbele. Weekdays 9 a.m. to midday on Power 98.7. Taking your calls on 0861-987-000. All right, so the time is 11 minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. We're just trying to coordinate lines between South Africa and The Hague in the Netherlands. But there are a lot of moving parts with regards to the Gaza-Israel situation and the submissions that are being brought forward to the UN court known as the ICJ, the International Court of Justice. Now, let's just remember just a few uh, basic technicalities. So there are almost, what, 200 UN member states, I think 193. And those member states nation states officially recognize sovereign states only they can be members that bring a case to the ICJ this is why South Africa as a country that had a serious problem with what it believes are violations of the Geneva Conventions in the architecture of this war as a nation state could bring Israel as a nation state before the court. Now, Palestine, its status at the moment is still very much uh, in question. In as much as people recognize that the people of Palestine have a right to nationhood, to a country of their own, they still don't have that country. So they can't be represented in a place like the ICJ. Um, Even though Hamas as a political organization representing a segment of the uh, Palestinian population, Fatah is another organization that represents the Palestinian people. They don't operate as state actors. They operate as political groupings. So anybody's got an issue with Hamas as a political organization, whatever you brand them as, you would have to take that issue to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, where individuals, um, militia, uh, can be charged in their individual capacity. Uh, And states in their sovereignty can be addressed at an ICJ. So those are the technicalities that we first have to remember. In that context, there are a lot of things going on. Just yesterday, uh, Al Jazeera reported that the United States at the UN um, Security Council, the most powerful body within the United Nations, was looking to sponsor a motion for the Security Council to approve a temporary ceasefire in Gaza. That's a huge milestone, if indeed that motion makes it. And it comes on the back of an ICJ adding recommendations for the de-escalation of the conflict to prevent war and genocide with another case that came to the ICJ um, late last week. And that case was brought by the General Assembly of the United Nations, apparently as far back as late 2022, uh, but there were delays in bringing the issue to a hearing. And again, the issue concerns the occupied status of Palestine and the encroachment of uh, Israel into 
settler ter- in, into Palestinian territories by settlers from Israel. So that's a case that had come in 2022 and so came back again last week. And in this particular case, the ICJ is saying that um, there needs to be a pronouncement on Palestine as an occupied territory. Preceding that is the South African case earlier this year to the ICJ about the actual conduct of the Israeli Defense Force in Gaza right now and concerns late last week that even the Rafah area of Gaza close to the Egyptian border was going to be under bombardment, making it impossible for displaced people to go into safety. Another alleged act of genocide. And so now there are quite a few things that are before the ICJ. It is the proclamation of Palestine as a an occupied territory. It is the call to return to the previous agreements of 1967 and those territorial borders. It is Netanyahu and his security chiefs holding a press conference on Sunday saying whatever discussions cannot be precluded uh, by preconditions about the status of Palestine and its borders. That would need to be a fresh negotiation. Then there's the issue of genocide And then there's probably going to be a motion within the Security Council about a temporary ceasefire. And then within the U.S. Congress, there have been four instances of sanctions that have been leveled against um, uh, Israelis who are said to have committed terrible atrocities in the act of encroaching into uh, Palestinian territories as settlers. So there's like five or six different components to what's going on. So let us now turn to our experts so that they help us make sense of it all. Tembi Safarkude, we know him, a senior fellow of the Africa-Asia Dialogues and somebody who, as Bureau Chief for Al Jazeera, worked and lived in the Middle East for a long, long time in Qatar and knows that part of the world very, very well. And in a short while, we'll also be going to Aisha Vahed. Um, she is a journalist with Salam Media, a legal reporter who is based at The Hague. I don't know if we've got Aisha yet. Aisha, good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you. Okay, it's great to have you. Tembisa, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Aisha, because you are there at the ICJ, and I'm just painting a picture of many, many cases that are now coming to the ICJ Cases that concern Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories, the war between Hamas and Israel, and then issues around the land disputes that dates as far back as the 1960s. And a lot of these things seem to be on the agenda of the ICJ right now. Why is that? I think that we've had a global movement towards the, you know, the thing of Palestine and the end to the occupation. And for the first time, we have social media at the level that we have it now. Yeah. So uh, just talking about the Netherlands and about the Dutch people and what I've seen here is that a lot of them were unaware of this occupation. And nobody could see it in its truest form. We now have these journalists on the ground in Gaza. We have journalists, you know, in different parts of uh, Palestine in the occupied territories, showing it to you live, showing you the atrocities. And that has brought about a big change in public opinion, in um, even in governments, in people lobbying to their governments uh, with uh, legal professionals, because for the first time we see the genocide as and when it's happening. Yeah. Okay. Just simplify for us, uh, Aisha, so that we understand what 
motions are actually before the ICJ. So we all know the South African case, which is now being supported by many countries in the world. And it even feels like Brazil's taken on, uh, sees the mantle and is running with this issue of uh, labeling the conflict itself as an act of genocide. So there was that issue. Now there is another issue that's come before the courts as well. And this is the declaration of uh, Gaza as an occupied territory. And then the issue of defining the boundaries of a Palestinian state, a separate issue, but still linked to what South Africa had brought forward. Help us make sense of it. Of course. So I think what's happening is South Africa's case to the ICJ was an opening for other uh, states and other countries to come forward and, um, you know, display they find uh, their frustrations in a legal avenue for them to come forward with cases that they believe should be heard by the ICJ. Because we must remember that before this, the last time that the ICJ heard a matter on Palestine who gave an advisory opinion was in 2004 and they declared the wall in Gaza illegal but nothing has subsequently happened but Mm. the first thing is that the genocide is so prevalent right now it's so ongoing media and news stations are reporting on it every day and in South Africa's case actually got provisional measures handed down it was a landmark case it was something that gave a lot of countries, I think, hope in the justice system again. Mm-hmm. It also put pressure on many political parties. And we have seen, you know, an uprising in Europe, especially, mm-hmm. which we generally don't see on this level. So since that has happened, then we've had other countries coming. We've even had countries who want to join the ICJ case, uh, as well as these 52 states that are now participating in the advisory opinion. And I think we can expect more countries to come okay. forward with their, their own uh, legal submissions to the court. Okay, and staying with you before, Timbisa, what is an advisory opinion? Legally, what is meant by that? So an advisory opinion is an opinion asked for by the United Nations uh, to the ICJ. So they ask the ICJ to give them uh, advice on an ongoing matter, on something that affects, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be world peace or something that affects uh, diplomatic relations and uh, humanitarian law. And it's not binding. It's not binding. So the provisional measures given by the ICJ were binding measures uh, in terms of the genocide case that South Africa brought about. So that would mean that Israel as a member state has to comply with those provisional measures, not that they are complying in any event, uh, but that's a whole different story. With this, it's not binding, but it is precedent for international law, for customary law. And we must remember that this is the highest court or the world court. So once the court gives an advisory uh, opinion, the UN is likely to act on it and member states are likely to take uh, direction from it in their diplomatic relations with the country. All right. So, Tembisa, let's bring you into the conversation. So, So quite a few things clearly are happening at the ICJ. But the issues that are coming forward, as Aisha is explaining to us, are issues that precede the events of October 7th, 2023. She says even the whole question of, um, you know, the Palestinian territories and the, and the wall, you know, dates to 2004. But we're even hearing that um, the ICJ is having to deliberate on the territorial boundaries of a Palestinian state as devised in 1967. So actually, there's a whole historicity to this to this legal argument? 
Yes, indeed. Um, my only concern, of course, is that you know uh, the Arab countries that has been uh, sitting on the laurels over the years suddenly found some confidence to take this matter to well, it's not the first time, but to amplify this method at ICJ. Mm. There's a lot that, sh- that they should have done or could have done over the years for the Palestinians, and they haven't done it. So now it's easy to piggyback on the South African popularity and also to save face. They have to now uh, amplify this action as the um, savior of Palestinians and, you know, people that are actually, you know, for justice for the Palestinians, mm. which I, I doubt and don't believe. So uh, I'm just wary that this mustn't trivialize our efforts at the ICJ because this is exactly it. I mean, these are this group of individuals, some of whom have done business with Israel. They refuse uh, access for aid for the Palestinians. And uh, notwithstanding, of course, that the Palestinians' representative and Palestinians themselves are involved in this, but we know that PA and Fatah in particular are part and parcel of the problems, you know, Mm. oppressing their own brethren, both Mm. in the West Bank and in Gaza. So this, for me, is just one of those, uh, you know, PR exercises, okay. and it comes, it comes at the back of what South Africa is trying to do. So for them to save face and to look as if they're also as gallant as we are as South Africans, mm-hmm. they have to do this and attempt to amplify it, and they know, of course, that it's going yeah. to have traction. Okay, so what you're saying is there are a lot of optics that are at play here and there's a lot of public relations and there's a lot of posturing. But let's go to the substance, uh, Tembisa. So on Sunday, we saw a very stoic Benjamin Netanyahu sitting with his chief security advisor and general of the army saying quite a few things, saying that they will not withdraw on the assault uh, of Rafa, that for them the end game continues to be the destruction of Hamas, um, and that secondly, um, recognizing the borders of Palestine uh, from 1967 onwards is not a precondition for talks on a ceasefire, and that anybody who's even predicating a ceasefire on a discussion about a Palestinian state, it's a non-starter. Why were they so determined to just really point this all out? That for us to stop raining bombs on Gaza will not be because we're entering into talks about the Palestinian state. Why did he feel the need to reiterate this? Well, first of all, this is good news for the Palestinians. If you remember, movements such as Hamas and Islamic Jihad have been fighting for Palestine from the river to the sea, which is exactly what Benjamin Netanyahu is doing at the moment, saying there's not going to be a Palestinian state. Good news for those who have always pushed for one-state solution. I'm not quite sure why there's suddenly an excitement about this two-state solution, because Palestinians themselves, uh, for over the years, have been calling for a one-state uh, uh, Palestine for obvious reasons. How do, you, how do you even begin to create a Palestinian state with these townships and small little pockets of villages scattered around uh, the West Bank and Gaza with, uh, with settlements all over it and the wall going around it? What kind of a country geographically and practically is impossible? So the best thing to have in that part of the world is to have the one state where Jews, Muslims, Christians and everyone else uh, lives in harmony mm-hmm. and, you know, in peace. But to continue talking about a two-state solution, it's an impossibility in terms of practicality okay. for some of us who spend time there. You've okay. got small little pockets of so-called Palestinian states 
or villages surrounded by walls. Some of them are in between settlements. Mm. It's an impossible. It's an okay. impossibility. So it's not going to happen. So it's good news for me, at least, to have that Benny Gantz and Benjamin Netanyahu, two hawks uh, and brutes who are busy in this war and killing the Palestinians, are talking about a Palestine, no Palestinian state. In, instead, I think this amplifies this uh, river to the sea notion that many people okay. have been talking about, including Hamas, by the way, okay. who has been over the years been talking about this before 2017. Uh, so, Timbis, I'm going to need you again to slow it down. Remember, we never lived in the Middle East, so we need you just to go back just to sorry, A, sorry, B, and C. Okay, so this, is, so, so this is what I understand. Many people, especially after Oslo, said they can be an independent Israel, one state, and they can be an independent Palestine, second state. Then the question was, okay, what would Palestine look like? And so what they basically did is they took an area like, what? Let's just say Gauteng province and said, Ekuruleni will be one side of Palestine and Tswane will be another side of Palestine and everything in between will be Israel. That's why you are saying that can't make sense because how do you build two countries... How do you build one country from two very different geographical zones? The whole of Gauteng is what must be considered a state. And then they must decide which part is Israel, which part is Palestine, or do you mix the two together? But you can't separate Ekurleni, Tswane, and then say, see how you do it. Correct. Uh, go further to say Ekurleni, Tswane, Alexander, Soweto, and there's some Israel in between with walls surrounding certain parts of uh, Alexander Township, and we've got settlements in between that are not supposed to be violated by Israeli traffic. So cars with a certain number plates, for example, belonging to the Palestinian territories can't go through Alexander, which means they can't reach Soweto, not unless you're bringing a bridge that will go. F- I mean, it's just crazy. It's not going to happen. Um, okay. So, the, and by the way, the last point I would like to make is that these settlements continue to expand. I mean, uh, they've uh, now uh, sang, uh, just uh, up, approved additional settlements that are going to further in, uh, encroach on Palestinian land. So, it's an impossible mission. It's not going to happen. Okay. The best to do is to have one country, call it whatever you want to call it, but everybody lives in harmony okay. and we have a Mandela type uh, solution. So what you are saying is by the Israeli Prime Minister saying, let's not even discuss those borders. It's good for the Palestinians because it stops this idea of a Tswane and a Nikurleni being one country when they're so far apart. It literally just creates one blank canvas to begin from. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying this is what Hamas, this is what Islamic Jihad and others have been saying for years okay. that they need one Palestinian state from the... Hence this controversy or this controversial mantra from the river to the sea. That's what people are talking about. So I'm not quite sure why suddenly you have people who are against this one-state solution. Suddenly okay. there are people who are strong and feeling much more convinced about okay. the two-state solution, which for me is impractical. All right. Aisha, I want to come back to you legally because there's stuff happening at The Hague, at the ICJ, the UN court, but there's also stuff happening at the General Assembly in New York. And one of them is the United States apparently saying maybe it's time for the Security Council, the highest decision-making body of the UN, to consider a temporary ceasefire. Now, what if America is going to sponsor that? I think that's serious, clout. Yes, you know, I think that's a very, very um, significant change in in the U.S.'s uh, political stance on Israel. And it shows that the building um, political change around the world, across Europe, 
is putting pressure on the United States. We haven't heard any talks of a ceasefire before that, and now they are drafting a proposal or they've drafted a proposal to the UN for a temporary ceasefire, which is big. Um, I've also read reports of uh, Joe Biden losing a lot of uh, his own political support in the country, and uh, many people think that this temporary uh, uh, ceasefire is politically motivated. But whatever it is, whatever is at play, and whatever is making the wheels turn, we just want justice for Palestinians. So um, it, it's a big change, and we hope that uh, the draft proposal will come through. We hope that there'll be some relief for Palestinians, but we don't need a temporary ceasefire. We need a, a permanent, permanent ceasefire, one. and we need an end to the occupation. We need an end to the apartheid state. Mm. So we use whatever legal measures we can. We encourage uh, people to lobby to their governments. We protest, we boycott and sanction. But the final goal is the liberation of the Palestinian people. And I think that that is clear, especially as South Africans, that should be our stance. We don't condone apartheid in any form and we don't condone an occupier having the right to rule over its Mm. occupied. Very briefly, Aisha, why, what's the difference between a temporary and a permanent ceasefire? I mean, if rains are bombing, cities are destroyed, hospitals are destroyed, why can't there be a complete end to war? Just a few days of a ceasefire, it makes no sense. Exactly. That is the question uh, the world is asking. How can you have a temporary ceasefire? Is it so that the hostages can be released from Gaza and then you're going to continue your annexation of the people? You're going to continue denying them their human rights. You're going to continue uh, displacing them, pushing them out of their uh, homes. Uh, the temporary ceasefire, we need to think about it in a in a broader spectrum. Is it just giving them uh, a break? And this is why the Islamic resistance movement has said that until there's a complete cessation of hostilities. Right. They are not willing to negotiate because they have that fear. They have that fear. They even started, you know, at the very beginning, they said, okay. you release our prisoners, our hostages, we will release your hostages. But Israel doesn't want that. Okay. Israel wants to get their hostages back for politically motivated reasons, in my opinion, and then continue raining down this uh, yeah. these atrocities on the Palestinian okay. people. So we'll be watching events in New York and how they back up events at The Hague. Tembisa, final word from you. The South Africans began, I think they've definitely gained a lot of traction on the morality of this issue. I see President Lula and the Brazilians are now running with it. They've become extremely vocal. Many countries of the so-called global south really and truly amplifying issues around genocide, around international law, around legality and around um, you know, a, a uniform system of applying human rights. So definitely a win, I think, for South Africa, if we can call it a win. But um, how far down the road can everybody go? Well, I think, and that's what I think we need to concentrate on. And, and, and unfortunately, these kind of other side events, like the one that's taking place at the moment, with due respect, seek to kind of, you know, polarize that concentration. Um, the South African initiative is supposed to have been, supposed to have a backing. I mean, some of these countries uh, in, the, in the Middle East did not support South Africa's position. Some of the leaders, serious leaders uh, of impact in the Middle East, did not want to support or be seen to be associated with the mm-hmm. South African application. But now we have this show 
because again, it's kind of, you know, save them face and they can see, they are now seen as people who love justice and peace and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for the Palestinians, notwithstanding that, of course, it's initiated by the Palestinian leadership. Uh, it kind of, for me, it kind of, you know, takes away the concentration that we're all supposed to be having at the moment in terms of supporting South African initiative mm-hmm. and supporting, you know, statements and rhetoric coming from Lula da Silva and others. Um, so I, I think we, 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 from South African's perspective, we need to continue uh, supporting the South African initiative, talking about them, making sure that these voices are amplified. And uh, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing for mm. what the Palestinians are initiating at the moment with the backing and supporting mm. of the uh, Emiratis and others. They, can, they must continue with, with them, but it must not take precedent. It must not, it must not, it must not take a front uh, stage mm. to what we have started as South African. I think mm. we should continue uh, amplifying what we have started and making sure that okay. it's, uh, it's heard uh, throughout the world and continues to uh, put Israel under pressure to stop the bombardment okay and the barbarity that's currently taking place in Gaza. Tembisa Fakude, thank you for your time. Aisha Vahed to Newstime. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.